0: Hi, greetings from BBTC, your fellow Brethren Church. Uh, my name is Edric, I was really honoured to have been invited by your Pastor Cockfire to come and speak to you guys today. But as you know, the season doesn't permit, doesn't allow me to there be there in person. I was really looking forward to meeting you, to shaking your hand, to greeting you and to looking you in the eye. But I guess I'll just look at you into the camera for the time being and I will count the days, number of the days, till we really get to meet in person and I get to meet you guys uh, in person in your congregation for the first time. Uh, a very quick introduction. My name is Edric. I'm Edric. I'm an elder. I'm a pastor at a Bedesta Bedok Tampanese Church. On the screen right now, that will be my, my family, my wife, my four children. Yes, four is a lot. Yes, it's true. Uh, for the last four years, I've been running these uh, two Christian websites which you may have heard of thirst, and salt and light. And uh, before that, I spent 12 years in mainstream news, most of that doing digital news. And I'm sure you're aware that over the last couple of weeks, these have been prime-time peak season for digital news, right? because of the elections and and the polls which you have all just uh, been through. I can tell you, having been in the newsroom that long, having overseen two general elections and a couple of presidential elections along the way. Um, This year, not having to be in the newsroom for the elections, I was so happy to not have been working there at that time. And you know why? You know, I can handle the workload because, you know, if we work outside there, we just have to get used to it. I can handle the double shifts. I can handle the the pressure, the work stress. I can handle the, the, the need to break the news as fast as possible. But what was really getting to me was all of the negativity that we were seeing on the internet. And sure enough, this year, we saw a lot of that again this year. All that negativity, no surprises, right? I'm going to stay politically neutral. I'm not going to name any party or any candidate. Um, But if you follow the online news, you'll know what I'm talking about. There were instances of character assassination, right? When a candidate has his or her personal behaviour dragged out into the public for all to judge and for all to see. When every old tweet or when every old post is scrutinised and judged and condemned. When every mistake is pounced upon on, whether it's during a live speech, during a broadcast, during a a, a walkabout. And, And it's always the case. During these elections, you know people complain, people moan, their arguments back and forth and everyone believes that only they are right and that everyone else is wrong. So maybe you've heard this term by now, it came up quite a lot during these elections, the term cancel culture. Basically it means when someone expresses an opinion that you don't like, you don't engage in healthy discourse and trying to learn more about where they're coming from, instead what you do is I don't like that point of view. I'm going to discredit that opinion. I'm going to insist that your post or your page gets taken down. And that's bad enough. Seeing the social fabric stretch to breaking point. You know, I mean, this is our country and we're proud of it. And we want there to be peace in our country. But what really gets me sad, this GE and every GE before that, and frankly, all this time covering uh, the local digital news, is seeing it happen even among Christians, among people like you and I. Over at BBTC, we knew from previous experience that elections uh, always run the possibility of uh, really dividing people, right? So what we did at BBTC was uh, as soon as the GE was announced and the nomination day was announced, we put out a message in our church uh, in the chat group saying that these chat groups, uh, as long as they're BBTC chat groups or social media or whatever it is, messaging platform, these are places of peace, the Philippines for it. Discuss only that which is good and noble and pure and trustworthy. Do not bring your politics, do not bring your preferences and your opinions into these chat groups and, and promote or denounce any one candidate or any one party. So we managed to nip it in the bud very early on because we drew a line internally. right? But elsewhere, I could see the casualties of this war. I have a close Christian friend and he was called names and he was kicked out of group chats because he had made some neutral objective observations about this or about that candidate. And as soon as he did that, other people, and I'm talking about the Christians here, the believers amongst us, they would jump in and they said, you shouldn't be saying these kind of things, you shouldn't be supporting so and so and so. And even in the body of Christ, over something like politics, division. And don't think it doesn't get noticed by the outside world because people send me links and they know I'm a Christian, they know I work for a Christian organization, they know I'm a pastor and an elder in a church and they say, how come you Christians aren't getting along? How come you're arguing in public? How come when we go to the Christian um, you know, Facebook pages or message boards, we see arguments and, and yes, in election season, the arguments, they may be about politics, but we have these things going on in other seasons too. And there's all the usual pet topics, right? You know, theological differences, how come your church does this and my church does that instead, doctrinal disagreements, and their comments about this church leader and that church pastor and about their behavior and their choices and their theology. And it's out there for the whole world to see. So we ask ourselves a simple question. Ask a non-Christian. When they think about us Christians, what's the first thing that comes to mind? How do they view us? And you know, to be fair, you're going to find many answers, and to be fair, many of them will be positive. So for example, some of them might name our charities. Some of them might name our mission schools, some of the things that impress them or strike them about Christians and Christianity. Some might be neutral, like, you know, nice buildings, you know, good location. Um, grand buildings, the old buildings, you know. But not all of these opinions are going to be that positive. Maybe they might mention things that we know about and that we're not always uh, too willing to admit to or too conscious about. Things like the holy huddles, the Christianese that we speak that no one else can understand, some element of elitism. Maybe they'll talk about our high handedness, our holier than thou attitudes our hypocrisy at worst. And I'm saying all these things not because I naturally, actively want to believe this about Christianity. I'm just saying what I've had people tell me about my faith. And it hurts. It's it's, it's sad when people talk about your family that way. And it's difficult sometimes to argue because they will cite instances, they will point to uh, internet threats and internet arguments, they'll cite this and that person who we know are not getting along, this and that denomination even. And we know that there will be some truth to some of that. There will be no smoke without the fire. But do you know, according to the Bible, what are non-Christians supposed to first and foremost see when they look at us Christians? That answer is in John 13, 34-35. What they're supposed to see, the first thing that's supposed to come to mind when they look at us Christians, is they're supposed to see love. According to John 13, 34-35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you show, by the love that you have for one another. So that's the benchmark. That's how they're supposed to view us. But is that really the reality? Is that really what people see when they see us? Is that, can they discern this love when they look at us as Christians? In the past few months, because of COVID, um, we spend so much of our time indoors, right? And our interaction is uh, primarily nowadays on the digital space. So, you know, in the past, what happened in churches tended to stay in churches, right? But now the church, you and I, everything that we do is laid bare for the whole world to see. So even, for example, take this sermon. In the past, I would just be speaking to the members of of, of your wonderful church in your physical premises. But now, who knows who is going to end up watching this and stumbling upon this in, in YouTube or wherever else this video gets posted. What we're talking about today is faith in the public square. That public aspect of Christianity. How are Christians coming across in our public interactions. In particular, during this time when we spend so much of our time uh, interacting on on social media, on digital media. How are we doing as that public face of Christianity? How are we representing our Lord Jesus Christ in this public square, in particular right now in the digital public square? And let me break it down using this passage, a familiar passage from Isaiah 52. And this passage has a lot of uh, personal meaning for me, and I'll explain that for you in a little while. We're going to read from Isaiah 52, verses 6 onwards, and it says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns the voice of your watchmen they lift up their voice together they sing for joy for eye to eye they will see the return of the lord to zion break forth together into singing you waste places of jerusalem by the way i can't wait for us to be able to break forth together in singing i really miss that about church right now For the Lord has comforted His people, He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from here. Touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will will be your rear guard. This is Isaiah 52. And it talks about um, breaking forth. It talks about departing and going out there. It talks about getting out from the midst of her uh, and, and, and God's going to go with you. That's the element of going out there into the public arena, into the places where people are going to see you, where you're breaking forth from where you were into that new place, into that wonderful place. Three things I learned this passage about how we are to relate to the world beyond the church. First, from verses 6 to 9, we are to be winsome witness. Second, from verse 10, we are called to be world winners. We're called to be winsome witness so that we can be world winners for Jesus. But from verse 11, There is some tension here. At the same time, while we're called to be winsome witness and world witness, at the same time, we have to be wary watchmen. Note the inherent tensions here. The first two points are about winning people over. But the last point, wary watchmen. It can frankly offend many. It can frankly be a bit of a turn-off to many. And we know the gospel is offensive, but we don't want to be more offensive than it needs to be, right? The gospel will offend people because it runs counter to the natural nature, to the natural mind, right? So some people are going to have trouble receiving it, but it is offensive. We don't have to be extra offensive in the process. Unfortunately, that's the part that sometimes Christians, and I'm talking about you and I here, right? And if you don't feel it, then I'll just say I'm talking about myself here. That's the part we're really good at being. We're really good at being wary watchmen. Right? In verse 11 there, it says, Touch no unclean thing. And we know the Bible calls us to be holy, even as our Heavenly Father is holy. We know the call to consecration is constant, is consistent, and it is compulsory for those of us who call ourselves Christians. Right? So we know this part, and it's not a bad thing. As wary watchmen, we commit to consecration. Right? Purify yourselves, for you bear the vessels of the Lord. This hearkens to mind Haggai chapter 2, where it warns us that a priest who comes into contact with a defiled thing, an unclean thing, a dead body in the case of Haggai, well, then the priest is defiled. And therefore, Haggai 2.14, whatever they do and whatever they offer there is also likewise defiled. There is um, personal holiness, and then there is the public perception of your holiness. By which I mean, you may hang a cross on your car as you drive, but how you drive behind the wheel and how you behave to the other people on the road, and I say this with a certain degree of uh, self-consciousness, and maybe I'm a little bit guilty of this, how you behave might betray your true nature. And they're looking at your car, and they can't see your face, but they can see that cross hanging there. Maybe you wear that cross around your neck, but then people see how you act, how you treat the people around you. Your, your colleagues, your classmates, the cleaner in your building, what are they going to think about the Jesus that the cross around your neck represents? It's the same for the digital domain, since, since I was uh, asked uh, to speak about this uh, online phenomenon, about this online thing. The digital domain is our default public square now. You know, your, your Facebook profile picture, maybe you've got a picture of yourself getting uh, baptized, for example. But what if people search your feed and all they find is a history of all the arguments that you've been having over the years, all the put-downs that you've been, you know, sneering at people all over the internet. Or maybe every Instagram post of yours, every other one is about how hashtag blessed you are. In fact, you're so blessed and so enlightened and so woke that you take every opportunity to tell people how you are right and maybe you tell them at the same time how they are wrong. That's re- very often how many Christians can come across when we are so overzealous about the consecration thing, where we are so overzealous about being watchmen for our country. It is true that the Bible does tell us to be watchmen over our land. For example, Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel it mentions over and over again. It's really easy to remember because it's in Ezekiel 3, it's in Ezekiel 33. When we're held accountable with blood on our hands, if we do not say something about the sins of our city. So we're called to be watchmen who speak out when we see unrighteousness and, and, and wrongdoing going on amongst us. We as Christians, there's a lot of things that we're known for doing in our moments of righteous indignation, right? especially on the internet. We, are, we, 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 we start petitions. And uh, we we have all these uh, endless WhatsApp mail, mass forwarded messages decrying this and denouncing that, and angry Facebook posts, all right, and uh, templated emails to send to your local politician, you know, and and what people see, what people hear when they see that side of us. We're always tutting, tisking, uh, at other people, you know. That's what we do as wary watchmen. We look at something we think is unrighteous, unholy, and we, you know. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do all of these things, you know? We should, as Scripture and as the Spirit leaders, us, uh, even as, as our church leadership prompts us, by all means stand up for righteousness, by all means fight for what is right. You have a voice, use it, and, and I am, I'm including in here the petitions and, and the emails and so on and so forth. But what I am saying is we have to be really careful not to over embrace that one part of who we are to be called to be in the public square. We have to be really careful that we don't want to become watchmen gone wild, watchmen gone wayward. Because if all that the world sees of us is that holier-than-thou moral police, always telling people what they're doing wrong, and by extrapolation, if you are doing wrong, means I'm doing right, well, that's not very winsome, is it? It's about balance it's like parenting for example if your parenting style is all about discipline and never showing love then your kids just going to get exasperated frustrated they're going to rebel and in the end it's going to be counterproductive you're going to produce the opposite effect of what you were going for with all of that discipline in the public square that same balance needs to be found as, as Christians in the public square. You know. For the church to have the window, the leeway, the privilege, the right to speak righteousness into society, into our land, we need to win that space, that moment where they are giving us their year, where they are willing to listen to us. That's the balance we're trying to find. It's just like what Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, he says, Find a person of peace eat with them, speak blessings over them, meet their felt needs before you can tell them, before you've earned the right to tell them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Just like Jesus when he went to Samaria, where he didn't have to go and where people said, what are you doing here? But he went there because he wanted to speak to the woman at the well. And that's why she listened to him. Just like Jesus when he had to leave the most perfect place of all, holy, spotless, perfect heaven. <coughs> to come down to this earth, with, and we had made this earth so wretched, so filthy. He came down, and He walked with us, and He talked with us, and He spoke words of life back into us. That brings us back to the other side of what we're supposed to be doing in the public square. right? So that first side we talked about was as wary watchmen. But this other side of things that we should be doing is about us as Winsome witness. Winsome witnesses out to win the world over for Jesus. Listen again to the words in Isaiah. This is uh, 52, 7 to 9, where he says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publish peace, who bring good news of happiness, who publish salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed the city. This passage is very important to me. And there's a reason I chose to read out of this particular version. This is the ESV. Because it uses words that are very dear to my heart, very dear to my, uh, um, the, the, the journey that I've been through you know, in, in, in mainstream media and in, in the news realm. The words they use, publish peace, publish salvation. I was in the news industry for 12 years. I covered all kinds of news. Right? Good news, bad news, political news, uh, sports news, entertainment news, Bo Liao news, everything. One day, God stirred something in me and He said, Don't just publish news. Publish good news. And so with that in mind, I, I got the, 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 the process was kicked off and I started Thirst, which is for young adults in the next generation in 2016, and then Salt and Light, which is about faith at work in 2018. What do we do at these websites? Very simple, the words that we see in these verses. We publish peace. We publish salvation. I used to bring people the news as a newsman. Now I specialize. Now I bring them good news. Good news of happiness. Good news of great joy. In Isaiah 52 verse 9, we get more detail about what we're so happy about. And what we're happy about is that the wasted places, they can start singing because the Lord is here and He brings with Him comfort, redemption. As winsome witnesses, we comfort out of compassion. You know, there's many ways to be a witness. It used to be in the old way, you you tell people you, 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 know, you scare the hell out of them, so to speak, right? Uh, you, you, you speak about the fact of the Lord's return, and you, know, you speak about the hell that awaits people if they don't believe in Jesus. And by all means, by the way, this is worth preaching about, it is worth sharing, because it is the truth that, unfortunately, the choice we make in this life with regards to salvation does lead to heaven or hell, right? But don't just be that kind of... Uh, of, of don't just share that news. I mean, this is good news, but it's good news in a kind of a backhanded way, right? Tell them both sides of the coin. What was prophesied about the Messiah in Isaiah? You know this verse, that for unto them a child would be born, and they would call him... Bad news, boy? No, good news, boy. They would call him the Prince of Peace. They would call him Wonderful Counselor. That's good news. What did the angels say about the birth of Jesus? Good news of great joy, glad tidings. That's why Christians must be good at doing good, not merely doing good deeds for good deeds' sake, because anyone in any religion can do that, right? But we do good because it reflects, it portrays, it demonstrates, it advertises the goodness of God, the compassion of God, what we have received from God as He has lifted us up from the grave that we were condemned to. In, in Isaiah, we didn't read these verses, but it's fifty-two uh, verses two and three. It says, "Awake, arise, shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord: You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money." That's compassion. That's grace. That's mercy. Just as that compassion is poured out on us at the cross and even today in our our daily mercies we receive from Him, so too must we pour out that compassion on the people around us that in so doing, they too will come to be pointed to the compassion of Christ. We were put on this earth to glorify God with all that we are, all that we have, all that we do. Do you have wealth? Heed the words of Luke 16, verse 9. That money is there so you can win friends into eternity in heaven. Do you have breath left in your lungs? Well then, you know the verse says let everything that has breath praise the Lord, bring him glory. Do you have Wi-Fi? Do you have 4G? Do you have social media pages? Well then, glorify him. Publish peace in what you post, publish salvation. Bring your network of friends, your followers, not just cryptic comments, not just memes. Bring to them the good news of happiness that can only be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, that's really the role of the watchman. You know, I know we talked about watchmen and it seems they were there just to point out unrighteousness, point out unrighteousness. But really, what watchmen are really supposed to do is not merely just to warn people about evil. We talked about there being two sides of the coin. They are also, in the warning them about evil, the watchmen, we are to turn and win the people over towards good. We learned this in Isaiah 52 verse 8. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together and they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. That's what the watchmen do. We're supposed not to use our voice only to decry or to denounce. We're supposed to be lifting up our voices, singing for joy. As as watchmen, we warn people, watch out, you're going down the wrong direction. And with that same voice, you point them in the right direction as well. From not merely being wary watchmen, you also wear the hat of the winsome witness as Christians in the public square. And why do we do all of this? The answer is in Isaiah 52 verse 10, which says, The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord. As world winners, we confess the Christ. There will come a time when the whole earth will undeniably see that Jesus is Lord. In Habakkuk 2.14, it describes this as a moment when the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God even as the waters cover the sea. In, in, during the circuit break, I was going through the book of Revelation with my children, with my family, right? And you can read about that moment when even the most adamant of Christ deniers cannot deny that Jesus is Lord. In Revelations 15, verses 3 and 4, it says, King of the nations, who will not fear you, O Lord? Who will not bring glory to your name? All the nations will come and worship before you. In fact, as we near the, the, the end times, I don't know about you, I don't know what, what, what you personally feel about these things, but I feel we are at the end of the end times. It really feels... Like the day is drawing nearer and nearer. And as the day draws nearer and nearer, we are reminded of the prophecy that Jesus will only come again after the whole world has heard the gospel. This is from Matthew twenty-four, fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. How is this going to happen? How are we going to be able to preach the gospel to the whole world, how how many billion? Six, seven, eight billion people? I believe digital will be the greatest tool for evangelism in our time. The digital world, social media, technology, it will be the greatest tool for evangelism in our time. We haven't even begun to scratch the tip of this particular iceberg yet. That's my belief. Uh, the potential of digital for evangelism. I think it is, uh, uh, um, well, the sky's the limit, and maybe, just maybe, that's how the whole world is going to hear the gospel of good news. So, I just give you one story. I remember um, one of the places I go to for on short term mission trips. Um, maybe I shouldn't name the country, it's a neighboring country. Uh, you know, it's, uh, mostly they worship a different religion. Um, well, there was once one of the missionaries I knew. They were his organization was gifted a thousand U.S. dollars just by someone said, "You know what? Just do whatever you want with the thousand dollars. Just use it for your ministry." They could have done anything with it. They could have bought, you know, this material, or they could have, you know, uh, I don't know, um, repaired their car or something. But what they did was they took a thousand dollars and they boosted a Facebook post. Uh, I won't say the specifics of that Facebook post because if I say it, you'll know which country I'm talking about. But just within that post, basically, it just asked a provocative question that people in that country, w- you know, um, basically it asked them, uh, I'm really paraphrasing here, have you ever uh, dreamt of Jesus? And you know what? They put that post out there. It was just a one-liner. Have you ever dreamt of Jesus? Not in those words, but but similar. And within weeks, this country where... If they had gone and asked that question on the streets, they would have been lynched. They would have been brought before the, the, you know, the village chief. and They, they would have been uh, kicked out at best if not much worse would have happened to them. But because of the digital space, because of the internet, people responded to them anonymously. People could respond knowing that no one, like Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the night, like no one could see them responding. And within weeks, just on a $1,000 on a single line Facebook post, they had um, hundreds, I think or something like six, eight hundred responses, out of which there were um, uh, low hundreds of uh, continued ongoing online conversation, out of which there were dozens of eventually face-to-face meetups where people wanted to find out more about Jesus, and out of which there were a handful of baptisms. Even if you take examples nearer to home, for those of us who are involved uh, or are familiar with the Celebration of Hope in, in 2019, yes, uh, 125,000 people went to the National Stadium last year. And that's a great number. Did you know that 10 times that number watched all of the testimony videos that were produced and published on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram in the lead-up to the Celebration of Hope? That's more than 1 million views of Gospel stories. More than one million views where people got to hear the Gospel. And who knows what seeds were sown during that one million views, during the one point something million views, that will one day bear fruit in a soul that is saved because their curiosity is piqued. Because they, they realize that someone is talking straight into their soul. Uh, there's just one more thing on a related note that we've been doing in our digital teams. You may be familiar with Thirst and with Salt and Light. I just mentioned them earlier. But just this, this uh, two months ago, in, in the month of May, in the midst of the circuit breaker, we thought it was the time to roll out a new website called Stories of Hope. And the concept for Stories of Hope is very, very simple. It is testimony after testimony after testimony of real-life people, mostly Singaporeans, telling about the goodness of God. And these stories are told in a way that is accessible to non-Christians, right? Uh, It's about areas that we all struggle with at some point, whether it's health or studies or work or relationships or, or, or the meaning of life. And each story starts with the issue because these issues, there is nothing new under the sun and they are common, they're universal to men, right? But what changes in the story, where there's the person reading it, might have been struggling with it and may not have found an answer, a solution, a way out, in these testimonies, the answer comes always in the form of Jesus. Halfway through the story, right? Usually at, the, at, the, at, the, at their bottom, at their lowest, at their crisis moment, these storytellers, and these are real stories, these are true stories, they tell about, and then Jesus, I invited Jesus into my life. I invited Jesus to change things. I invited the Holy Spirit to, to work and work a miracle. And because of that, they're not always fully healed, not always fully saved, but they're on the road there. They're on the path to transformation. They see hope. They see change. And at the end of this, in every, every one of these stories of hope, we invite each reader, come and find out more about Jesus. Who is this Jesus that we've been speaking about? What is the Bible and why should we trust it? Why bother with this thing we call church? So what we do as Stories of Hope, Our mission is to save souls one story at a time. Why? Because as we learn from Isaiah, because all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. All the ends of our earth. And even as I say that phrase, I'm conscious right now, that more than any time, even though we can no longer cross borders and we're no longer crossing countries, more than any time now, all the ends of the earth are in that same place of mind. We're no longer in each other's countries. We can no longer interact physically, but we're all stuck in that same social, mental, emotional space, which is we're being held captive by a virus. And this world is in a state of flux, in a state of confusion. We don't know how long this will last. Uh, But what I do know is this. In the last three to four months, every nation in this world, including you and I over here in Singapore, we have all been prepared to be an interconnected internet world. Now we're all familiar with Zoom and with YouTube and with social media. We all have you know, uh, personal messaging accounts and so on and so forth. And every one of these online accounts, every social media front face, every profile is potentially a pulpit, a platform. And the question is, what are you doing with your pulpit? Are you the wary watchman committed to consecration, calling out unrighteousness in the land, holding Christians accountable for their behavior online and offline? And, and that's the right thing to do. We are called to be watchmen, and I hope we're doing that, but I also hope we don't just stop there, which is very easy for us as Christians to do. You know? We just hold forth that line of what is righteous, what is unrighteous. But more than that, apart from just being a wary watchman, are you also... Fulfilling your commission, your role to be a winsome witness. Out of your compassion, offering comfort. As we said, the world is a mess. Society is changing fast. Some people are feeling uh, confused, left behind, discombobulated. Lord knows right now, people more than at any other time need hope. Are you speaking life? In your online conversations? Are you pausing to identify? You know sometimes you read on social media, you read negative things or bad things and this person is angry at something or complaining about something or crying about something. How are you responding to that? Do you hear in each one of those posts the cry for help? That gap that needs filling up? That anger that needs soothing? Do we jump in there and pour uh, fuel to the flames? Or do we try comfort in compassion? Reaching out to people and asking, Hey, is there some way I can help you? I can be with you in your in your struggles? Are we a wary watchmen? Are we winsome witnesses? And are we playing our part in winning the world? Confessing Christ, whether it's in the flesh as we as we resume physical interaction or right now in the default space, which is the digital space. This is our main public square right now. I hope the next time I get to come to your church in person for real, not only will I be able to look you in the eye as my fellow brethren, but I also want to be able to look at your feet. I want to be able to commend you for your beautiful feet. Because as it says in Isaiah, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The ones who publish peace, the ones who publish salvation, who bring good news of happiness. So I leave you with this. In the public space, in the public square, in particular in the the digital domain, yes, be a wary watchman, but more than that, Why don't we posture? Why don't we prepare? Why don't we see where are the gaps and the niches and the ways we can start to speak life, to speak peace, to speak salvation into the digital space? Because right now it's a war zone. Right now it's full of anger and hurt and, and, and contempt and mistrust and the elections always surface, all of this. We worship the Prince of Peace. We have His peace. Let's share that. We have been given the gift of salvation Pass it on. We have wisdom from above that maybe people are never going to be able to grasp without us telling it to them. So yes, fulfill the function of being that wary watchman, but don't forget to be winsome witnesses for Christ so that we can win the world for Jesus. Can I invite us to just close in prayer? Father God above we just thank you for this reminder through your word today that many people still need to know the good news many people are still struggling with everything that's going on in the world and every year that goes by it seems to get worse and worse and worse but we thank you that for those of us who know you we have discovered the hope, all the hope that we need, your abundant grace. And now I pray for my brethren, my brothers and sisters in PPH. I pray that they will embrace this privilege of being the bearers, the messengers of good news. I pray that right now you are calling to to, to mind that person, that oikos, that friend, that relative, that colleague, who really needs a touch of God. So empower my brethren here that they will have the words, they will have the opportunity, they will have that new heart in them with which to reach out to win the world for you, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.